Trigger warning. This podcast discusses themes centered around emotional, physical, and sexual violence. While the stories of the survivors are meant to be inspiring and informative, listener discretion is advised. If you are struggling with any of the aforementioned issues, links to resources can be found in the show notes of today's episode. It dawned on me, I had a smashed windshield. So I was like, hey, asshole, what about my windshield? And those are words that I'll I'll regret for the rest of my life. Because he came back and put the knife up against my neck again. And we stood there for a while. He still wanted me to go with him. I was like, I, I knew in my mind if I went with him, I would probably be dead today. Hi, survivors. I'm Tara Newell. And I'm Collier Landry, and this is the Survivor Squad Podcast. Yay, another episode. Another episode. And a week away from, where are we going, Tara? We're going to CrimeCon Orlando, Florida. CrimeCon Orlando, Florida, September 22nd through the 24th. We will be there. We have a booth. We're doing a panel or our own little panel. We got a lot going on, right? Yeah, well, we're going to do a live Survivor Squad podcast show, but it's just going to be you and I because it's finally time that we talk about our own stories a little bit. Is that what we're doing? I guess that's what we're doing, guys. There we are. There you have it. We're going to talk about our own stories on the Survivor Squad podcast, I guess, at CrimeCon Live. So there you go. (laughs) So I get to ask you all the questions I never ask you. That's great. So we get to ask each other questions. Uh Uh-huh. Um, and we have special merchandise, right? We have uh, our No Trauma Dumping t-shirt. Or, um, yes. Or woman's, uh, yes, you're wearing it right now, No Trauma Dumping. Racer, women's Racerback tee. We have our Mary Soul stickers, our, our, our Survivor Squad stickers. We'll have podcast flyers, which I have yet to make <laughs> because time is running out. <laughs> yes. And it's going to be hot and humid, right? Yeah, it's Orlando, Florida, right? But what is the most exciting thing we have in anticipation of CrimeCon, Tara? Oh my goodness, we're going to the kickoff party. If you guys are not going, you guys should go because we have matching outfits. We do. It is a neon theme party. We are we are getting in the spirit. I normally don't do the dress up thing, but I was like, you know what? We should do that in celebration of a very cool movie that came out this summer. Yes, and I'm really excited. I was just wearing it yesterday around the house. (laughs) Of course you were. Um, (laughs) But it would be very exciting, and we get to meet all kinds of really cool people who we've interviewed on the podcast who will be there at the the event. And our guest today, Jane Borowski. Yes, I'm so excited to meet her in person. She's going to be there with Crawl Space Media and the team that did Dark Valley. By the way, if you guys are going to CrimeCon, we will be in the podcast row. I think we are actually right next to Crawl Space, are we not? Yes, we are. There we go. All right. Yeah, so we'll be there and uh, we'll be doing live podcasting, live streaming from our booth, as well as our live event uh, session on Sunday morning. So yeah, it's very going to be very cool. But uh, let's uh, t- chat a little bit about our guest who's got an amazing and wild story, right? Oh, yeah. Well, she worked with other survivors with the Dark Valley podcast. Um, you guys could get to know the story fully on there. But she is a survivor of a brutal attack of a serial killer. And so I'm 
just so intrigued by the story, to be honest, because it's unsolved. Yeah. They haven't found the guy yep. or guys or I don't know. But yeah. Jane, with Jane's case, it was only one. Yeah, it was interesting. And, and you know, then that kind of sent her, that sort of trauma of that attack affected her life in other ways, too, which she shares in the podcast very bravely. And it's very, very cool. And it's a fantastic interview. So um, what do you think? Let's get into it. Yes, let's get into it. Well, thank you so much for joining today. Why don't you start to tell us about your story and about the podcast that you got involved in and created? Sure, thank you. It's in 1988, I was seven months pregnant. I decided to go to a county fair. I live in a small community in New Hampshire in the 80s virtually no major crime or anything like that that i knew of i was only 22 at the time so you got to remember there was no internet there was no social media where everybody knew everybody's business so i went to this fair and it was so hot and humid that summer it was on august 6th and i Spent some time at the fair, met up with some people I knew. And then it was getting late, so I just decided I was gonna leave, head home. I was headed home and I, I was thirsty and decided to stop at this closed store on my way home. The store was closed, but I had soda vending machines outside. So I decided to stop there for a soda and I ended up be meeting up with Evil that night. This vehicle pulled up beside my car where I was parked and he got out, came over to my car, tried to get me out. We struggled in my car. I, I tried to kick him and get him out of my car so I could leave and he definitely wanted me to go with him and uh, I kicked so hard I kicked my windshield and shattered my windshield so then he took a knife out and pretty much said maybe this will persuade you to get out of the vehicle it did I got out of the vehicle and I was really scared but confused because I didn't know what this guy wanted. You know, I got out of the car and the first thing he was like, you beat up my girlfriend. Okay, I'm seven months pregnant, I didn't beat up anybody's girlfriend. And then he was like, you have a Massachusetts vehicle or Massachusetts car. And I said, nope, I have New Hampshire plates. And so I was like, I went from like terrified, scared and to okay, this guy is a Fruit Loop or something, and I was confused on what he wanted. 
And then he walked to the back of my car like he was leaving, walking towards his vehicle. And it dawned on me, I had a smashed windshield. So I was like, hey, asshole, what about my windshield? And those are words that I'll, I'll regret for the rest of my life. Because he came back and put the knife up against my neck again. And we stood there for a while. He still wanted me to go with him. I was like, I, I knew in my mind if I went with him, I would probably be dead today. And so I saw a vehicle start coming down the road. I was on a fairly main road. And I knew in my mind that the only way I was getting out of that situation is to run for that road and scream. And so just as the vehicle was going by, I just dashed and screamed and yelled and jumped up and down and the vehicle kept going. And the next thing I knew, he he had like tackled me down like a football player. He had chased after me and tackled me down in the middle of this empty parking lot. And I was on my back when he got on top of me and proceeded to stab me. Um, Didn't see it coming. I didn't expect it. I was shocked. (laughs) Probably shocked probably wasn't a good word to use at that moment. I, I was in disbelief that he was just continually stabbing me. He ultimately stabbed me 27 times. He cut my neck and my juggler. I had two collapsed lungs, a lacerated liver. Um, He cut the tendon in my hand. I had a lot of defensive wounds in my hands because I was trying to protect my baby. I had a cut tendon in my knee and several wounds, several uh, knife wounds in my in my chest. And, and he left me for dead. He just stopped, got up, walked away, left me for dead. Or so I thought. So I heard him walk away. I, I was laying on the ground. I was just bleeding profusely. Somehow, when I heard him walk away, I rolled over and got up on my hands and knees to get up because I knew I had to get help and I wanted to get to my car. And I heard the vehicle start, I heard him start his vehicle and he just drove right by me and looked right down at me. I looked at him, he looked at me and then he left the parking lot. And I eventually got up and, and got to my vehicle. And before I knew it, I was in my vehicle headed down the road to get help. I had a friend of mine that lived like two miles down the road. So I knew I I needed to get to his house to get help. And I could just hear the, feel the blood and hear the blood just gushing out of me. And, And I was coming pretty close to unconsciousness. And before I knew it, I was right behind him. (laughs) I was driving down the road and there he was right right in front of me.
And that terrified me because in my mind, I'm thinking, oh my God, he's going to see where I went or where I go. And pulled in, I pulled into my friend's driveway and he went straight and I I got out of my vehicle and I told my friend, you know, some asshole just stabbed the shit out of me. I need help. And I pretty much collapsed on his stairs. And a little while later, all of a sudden we hear the vehicle come back and like slammed on his brakes in front of the house and then took off. So he definitely wanted to see where I went if I was still alive or whatever. And then I ended up getting help and I'm here today to tell my story. Wow. That's... Yeah, wow. (laughs) That's a lot. So there was a total of how many victims from him? Well, that was the funny thing. You know, I was only 22, no internet. No, no social media. So I had no idea there was a serial killer roaming the Connecticut River Valley. <laughs> I had no idea. While I was in the hospital and and after I got out of the ICU, I was in the ICU for about a week. And I was on a ventilator and stuff. But once I got my room and the detectives were coming in to see me and interview me, it was like... Everybody tried to keep me away from the newspapers and the news and all that. They didn't want me to see any of that. Because I guess I was splattered all over the newspaper and the news and CNN and and all of that. So one day I, I said to my mother, I said, why, you know, why are you guys not allowing me to read the newspaper or any of that? Why is my, you know, Dennis, my husband, being so protective over me about that? And that's when she told me I was all over the news. Well, I got hold of one of the newspapers and I was reading it. And in the newspaper, it said that I was a a victim of the Connecticut River Valley serial killer and that there were seven other victims that didn't survive. That was terrifying to me. I was like, oh, my God. Okay, not only was my name all over the news, because back then... They splattered the victims' names all over the news. Today, they don't do that. If a victim survives, they they don't do that. But so I was like, oh, my God, there's other victims that didn't survive. This was a serial killer. And now he knows my name and who I am. And that was terrifying. That was terrifying to me. I was only 22 years old. And so that was, I, I felt, I felt like, okay, who were these other victims? Who were these other women? And so over the years, you know, once we started getting internet and stuff like that, I really started looking into who they were, how they went missing, their stories. And there really wasn't much out there about them. You know, a lot about the Connecticut River Valley killer (laughs) and and, and that, but there really wasn't much about the victims. And so, yeah, I I just started doing a lot of research on them. Wow. 
Well, I want to go back a little bit and just say that, you know, even though you said those words to him in that moment, I think that that is great that it showed your fight, that you are a badass and that you fight and take him down, you know? And so that's really what saved you. And so I'm really grateful for you just having that fight in you. And I want to say that you're just really great for having that. (laughs) A lot of people don't. Thank you. I give a lot of credit to my daughter. Now, my daughter survived. I ended up carrying her for another two months, full term, and, and she survived. And I really honestly believe in my heart and soul, had I not been pregnant, I would have never survived. I believe she gave me the strength. She wanted to live so much that she gave me the strength to survive so that she could survive. She she had to fight for her life twice. <laughs> I She fought for her life when I was fighting for my life. And then when I had her, she was born with no blood pressure and, and a blue baby. And she was, she had to fight for her life for about three weeks in the NICU unit in, in Lebanon, New Hampshire. So she had been through a lot too. I, I don't think if I had not been, I think if I had not been pregnant, I would have never survived. I'm grateful to her every day that I'm here. And I get to tell my story. So thankful for that. And it just so shows that you're a great mother that, you know, if you're able to carry her and all of that happen, that shows that you did a lot of protecting on her. Yeah, I did. I did. I have a, I have a lot of scars on my hands and, and on my arms. And you know what? Those are reminders to me that I'm a fighter. And and I look at them every day, and, and and I'm grateful to be here, and that I'm grateful that I have my daughter, because I did fight. I fought. I fought hard, and I fought a lot, and and I won. Yes. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, I won. <laughs> In our books too. Absolutely. So when did this attack happen exactly? It was August 6, 1988, which August 6th is coming up. Wow. (laughs) It's like uh, I used to have a hard time with that date, man. And I'm sure you guys can relate. You know, you've got those dates. and. I used to have a hard time. I used to um, feel a lot of anxiety and depression for like a week before because I knew that date was coming up. And that date was always so dark and so um, horrible. I, I hated it. Today, you know, I I started a lot of counseling and healing about 10 years ago. Well. About 12 years ago now, I guess, in 2010. And I did seven years of real intense therapy for my PTSD. And today, it's like August 6th comes around, and it's almost like a 
I, I, I switched it around and it's, it's a celebration of my survival. I, su I survived. That day, I wasn't a victim, I became a survivor. And that, that's got a lot to do with my healing. With my healing, I also, I, I threw away that, that victim name and, and I'm a survivor, not a victim. Yes, I endured a horrible attack, but I survived that attack. And uh, so, yeah, I, it, it's a very different um, feeling I have with that date today. I can relate with that. My date is August 20th. So, you know, the August month. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but I used to do charity events and just try to do something with that day. But then I also realized I'm leaning into my appease mode. <laughs> <laughs> so and now it's actually an anniversary for me. My one year anniversary is coming up with my partner. So it's something now oh. to celebrate in that way. Awesome. That's great. Thank you. Yeah. So, you know, turning the positive into a negative. But I would love to see or hear about how you dealt with those dates in the earlier days. Oh, the earlier days? I would. It was as if. I, for one, I isolated myself. I didn't want to be around anybody. I I would stay in bed as long as I could the day before, day of, and day after. I just did not, I didn't want to function. I didn't want to, I, I just didn't want to deal with the day. I didn't want to think about anything. I I just, it, it was depressed. It was, I was so depressed then. Cried a million tears, cried a million tears. It was, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't poor me. It was also, an, it was almost like a, another year, my case is unsolved. You know, it was another year, no answers, another year, no justice. And, and I think that just all piled in at one, uh, you know, on top of each other. So it just gave me just a, a dark feeling. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. You were at the tail. So you were essentially at the tail end of his reign of terror, correct? Yeah. I'm supposedly, I'm the last known victim. The last known, I'm his last known attack. Yeah. And I'm the only one that survived. Yeah. Which is, which is also a, a testament to stopping his reign of terror, right? Yeah. Was he, was he then, was he ever caught? Was he, I don't know a lot about him. So was he caught and, and convicted? Nope. Still unsolved. Still a cold case. All the cases are. Yep. There's been no suspect. A couple of, person of interest that really they really haven't gone anywhere with it with that 
But yeah, unsolved, no justice. In the podcast, I know there's some speculation that it might be two people. Do you believe that or do you believe that it's absolutely one person? I believe, well, my attack was definitely one person. Yeah. And, you know, the others, I believe was one person. Maybe, Barbara Agnews, maybe. Yeah, I think that was one person. Yeah. I, I You know, I... Because there's so little out there about the specifics of their cases and their attacks, we can speculate a little bit. We dove into Ellen Freed's case, and hers was kind of particular because her car was someplace different, her body was someplace different, and where she was taken was someplace different. So it's like... There could have been two people with hers. Not really sure. I just know that you did a lot of research into a lot of the other victims. And I know you're a survivor, but they were victims because unfortunately they're not here. But Mm. and were there other survivors, too? I'm only three episodes deep so far. Uh. Um. (laughs) so spoil alerts if you guys haven't listened to Dark Valley yet yeah there there is seven victims possibly eight there may be more I'm not gonna get too specific about that but there there's definitely seven maybe eight there there was Eight victims. One, some say, is connected to the Connecticut River Valley serial killer. Some say that she's not. But her story is told on that podcast. So, I mean, when I started, when I started doing the project with Jenna Mel, which she is amazing, amazing investigative journalist. She's doing an amazing job with Dark Valley. When I started that project with her, I I said to her, I said, one, you have to look at everything with an open mind. You can't, if something looks so true and so real and you still gotta look at it with an open mind. And two, I warned her she will probably leave this project with more questions than answers. (laughs) And so, you know, I gave her those two warnings. And uh, sure enough, she is finding more questions than answers. But she's doing an amazing job. Uh, She is finding a lot of answers to I know a lot of questions that people had, but there is there is some questions that are that are surfing surfacing that we didn't have before. Yeah, but she's I love the way she's describing these victims because she's giving them 
she's describing them with so much compassion and just so much letting people know that these were real people that were just living their lives. And, and this monster inserted himself into their lives and, and just had no right to do that and took their lives and, and how much this has impacted their families is it's enormous. And she's done a, a beautiful job with, with capturing that and letting people know that, you know, for one, these, these, these murders are unsolved. And for two, let's not forget about them. They, they were real people. Now there is also my podcast with Invisible Tears. And with that one, I focus a lot on PTSD, trauma, and what a victim has to go through after a traumatic event. I, I talk a lot, I'm very candid and very open about everything. I talk a lot about, you know, the financial impact on on victims and the 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 mental aspect of it. You know, I went ten years or twenty years without any counseling whatsoever after my attack. And it wasn't until two thousand ten I was clinically diagnosed with PTSD, which I had no idea what it was. And in 2010, when I started my healing, it was, I had to literally strip myself naked and rebuild myself back up. And and it wasn't until then I really, that's when I realized how fucked up my life really was for 20 years. I, I thought I was living a normal life. I thought I was, you know, handling everything just, just fine. And I was pretty, I was pretty messed up. I had, I had a, I had a serious gambling problem, which made me do. Um, I ended up stealing from an organization I love very much, and I, I took re- full responsibility for that. I ended up going to jail, and I am a convicted felony today, but I did my time. I did what I was supposed to do. And there, it was almost almost a blessing, because when I when I was going to court, I was court ordered to seek counseling for for my gambling addiction, and that's when my PTSD came came up and my attack came up, and and so I just started I started doing some serious counseling with my PTSD and. And it saved my life. I mean, it, it's today. I can honestly say I am the person I always wanted to be, and I am honestly living a normal, happy life. I, I've been given tools over the seven years to to use with my PTSD and with my symptoms, and and. My life is very different today because of it. And I talk a lot about that with 
with my Invisible Tears podcast. And I've helped people with the podcast, which is amazing. It's, I, I have people emailing me, telling me I've never felt so heard. And, you know, I, I have had PTSD for years. I've gone through a traumatic event. And for the first time in 15 years, I, I'm seeking counseling and going to begin my healing process because I've heard your story. That is so, that is like so amazing. It's amazing. It's, it's what I really wanted to do. And then when Jen approached me with the, the project with Dark Valley, I, I didn't want to focus on the monster. I really, really wanted her to focus on the victims and 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 that's that's a lot of what we've done she does her investigative journalism i mean she's a investigative investigative journalist so she does the investigative part but she also really really focuses on the victims and i i feel so lucky to be able to do this project with her and be involved with her with this project yeah, we definitely are. We definitely are very victim and survivor focused on this program. I mean, obviously, right? Look at the title. Yeah. And yeah. I know that Tara and yeah. I both feel strongly of like that. That's an important thing. I think that it's it becomes more and more difficult for people to, delin- to delineate between, you know, g- sharing the story of a case and glorifying the perpetrator, right? Exactly. And that's something that I know that we feel strongly about. Obviously, you feel strongly about as well. You, you don't, you don't want to empower these these people at all. And, and there's this almost like sycophantic obsession with these with these perpetrators that is very disturbing for sure, but also just you know toxic. You know, and I and I know Tara and I talk a lot about that. It seems like you're on the same page with that. Oh, absolutely. We got to stop giving these monsters a voice and start giving these victims a voice. And and that's what my mission is right now is I'm giving the victims that aren't with us anymore. I'm giving them a voice and uh, I will do that till the day I die. I won't stop. I don't want them to be forgotten. This concludes part one of our two part episode with Jane Borowski. Can't wait for part two. Please subscribe to the Survivor Squad Patreon to receive exclusive early access to all episodes. On that note, Survivors, I'm Tara Newell. And I'm Collier Landry. And this is the Survivor Squad Podcast. We'll see you guys. Bye. The Survivor Squad Podcast is made possible by support from listeners just like you. Please subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And please consider supporting this program by visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Survivor Squad.